Rather than having made prudent life choices all along, most of us tend to only seek healthful solutions once we've had a scare in the form of a diagnosis or event. This is HealthScape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. In this program, we'll show you the techniques, innovations, and holistic ideas that you can use to put yourself on the path to better health. Now, here is Dr. Trevor Campbell. Hello, welcome to HealthScape. I'm your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell. In this episode, I want to explain two especially important categories of information in chronic pain, but these also apply to nearly all chronic illnesses. Part one I call Change Your Narrative, Change Your Life, and it deals with a story that you tell your physicians, family, and friends about your illness or condition and the possible pitfalls that you should be aware of. Part two deals with how to better position yourself for recovery by building a solid foundation. So I will start with the disease narrative. You might be wondering, what exactly do I mean by the word narrative? Narrative, of course, is just an older, more formal word for story. Thousands of years ago, as language evolved, Cultures told stories in order to learn, share, pass on skills, and entertain. But most important of all was to remind the tribe of who they were. As the scholar Joseph Campbell points out in his book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, myths and legends have long served these purposes. He pointed out that early bygone cultures told stories and that many of their stories were strikingly and alarmingly similar to those of other cultures, despite wide separations in distance and time. These stories were used not only for the above mentioned reasons, but more importantly, they served to define the tribe's identity and to remind them of who they were. Storytelling was also good for the tribe's mental health, advising and in urging inclusion, participation by all, cooperation and service to the community. More importantly, because these folk stories were delivered orally, the spoken word could of course be adjusted accordingly, depending on the narrator and the quality of her or his memory, particular time and season, and more especially, the prevailing needs of the community. The writer and author Joan Didion once said, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. As humans, we crave stories and have a universal need for stories. And this fact is central to healing when it comes to chronic pain and chronic disorders. Stories help us to come to terms with situations, explain context to others, remember our heroes, and they also help us to heal. In many ways, we become our own stories, our personal story also being a metaphor for our own life. This explains why Hollywood and the advertising industry on Madison Avenue are major, major conglomerates and why they is an endless, almost insatiable need for books of all genres, 
fiction, biography, self-help, an endless array of options. We simply need and want stories. All of us already have a story of our life, our early history, our goals and ambitions, our relationships. In fact, almost anything you can think of that is important to us. Often we have more than one story about any of the above topics. For example, a college student will give a vastly different account of his holiday, depending on whether he's talking to his grandparents or his buddies. It has even become a professional expectation that our resumes change to highlight and focus on those experiences that we think a particular workplace may be most interested in. Even the least talkative among us probably have several narratives of their own life. Like everyone else, we have already been telling ourselves stories nearly every day of our lives. We can recall in the past talking our way into and out of anxiety, low confidence, fear, and even accomplishment on occasion. When we address our pain, we are also telling a story. Now, often that narrative is an inherited story, a patchwork of what we have been given or what we have figured out be it a rational experience, explanation, medical advice, or any body of ev evidence. So who then is telling the story of pain in your life? Are others telling you? And do you believe what they are telling you? It is difficult to remain committed and motivated to a plan or discipline if you cannot identify with the story being told. One of the reasons that family practitioners are effective in what they do is that they become very skilled at narrative, as they usually know the backstory of their patient's life. And they have to be active listeners. So they need to reflect the patient's story back onto them, either for confirmation of the shared knowledge or evidence for the anxious patient that they have been listening intently. intently. The actual pain narrative content, although seldom addressed clinically, is a huge issue in chronic pain. And it is basically the story we tell our family, friends, and consulting physicians. Our illness narrative is molded mainly by our need for relief, as it is the story we tell our treating physicians. And because we have a limited time with them, as we are all painfully aware, we eagerly seek solutions to our multiple problems and concerns, tending to cluster our setbacks, severe symptoms, and all the negative aspect, aspects of our experience into one long negative delivery. But this is entirely understandable as we desperately are seeking help and reassurance. Perhaps we have experienced a few optimistic events and aspects along the way, but these tend not to be included. And so our illness story for chronic pain tends to be almost exclusively sad and bleak. The problem here, however, is that such a narrative can with time become an obstacle to recovery when we repeat the same story to our friends and family. The scale and reach of our story only increases with time. 
eventually to the point where family and friends start responding to us and treating us in ways determined by our current story and not by our actual situation. This could lead to family and friends behaving in an overprotective or indulgent way, almost coddling us when we are still able to do quite a lot for ourselves. For example, they may insist on dishing up our food and bringing it to us at a family barbecue when we are still perfectly capable of doing it for ourselves. Meanwhile, something more sinister is going on in the background all the time. Our story eventually morphs into our personal negative self-dialogue and internal chatter that becomes continuous and often inescapable. And it sure holds us back, potentially sabotaging all our efforts at recovery. While I've mentioned that the main reason for negative content is a sincere quest for help, other factors certainly also contribute to the negativity. Lack of insight, low mood, ongoing fatigue and frustration play a big part as well. The narratives are furthermore very often pieced together after prolonged periods of rumination, an activity that we already know has a depressing effect on most people. In fact, when depressed patients find ways of ruminating less often, they tend to feel better without further changes in their existing treatment. Now, bear in mind the insight from neuroscience that the neurons or nerve cells that fire together, wire together. This is part of the process of neuroplasticity or the brain's ability to change itself under certain conditions. What we continuously repeat and focus on grows in our brain and in our life. And so the danger of constant repetition of an overly bleak or sad narrative becomes more obvious. The longer the narrative stays the same, the more it becomes more negative and locked in, so to speak. And later it can easily become our life blueprint. There is a famous saying by Heraclitus, an ancient Greek philosopher that holds that character is destiny. However, with long-standing narratives, one runs the risk that narrative or history, rather than character, may become our destiny when we keep repeating to ourselves our negative internal dialogue. Social acceptance of this narrative eventually becomes extensive among our network and the reach and influence only increases with time. Ultimately, it is widely accepted as the new normal for us and changes the ways that relatives or friends and co-workers react to us, as we saw in the family barbecue example. Based on clinical experience, I personally believe that our narrative can sabotage our attempted recovery efforts as it becomes the predominant theme and overarching story of our lives. Negativity that is endlessly repeated and remains unchanged can negate even our best efforts at achieving improved health. So what do we do about it? Well, we have to have a more flexible story or narrative. 
even if it only includes a few improvements at first. Now, I'm not seriously suggesting that we falsify or suddenly change our pain, pain narrative into something more positive that we even actually can't believe in. But we do need to be aware of its importance and periodically revisit the validity of our own story, preferably in a more objective and less pain-focused manner. Because there are usually some positive changes that have occurred, and these have to be acknowledged and incorporated into our story where possible. Narrative flexibility that allows for this is necessary in any fluid situation. When we start looking at and examining the small or even trivial things, we can with time more easily see opportunity for change and can open up possibilities to allow for better outcomes. We eventually come to see that favorable change may not only be possible, but indeed may become more plausible or likely. The small positives can be something like, say, sleeping 20 minutes more per night, cooking an entire meal for oneself, or learning a new card game even. Think back for a while to the time when you learned to drive a vehicle. You were encouraged to keep your eyes not only on the road, but in the direction you were intending to move forwards. Rubbernecking at what was happening on the side of the road, such as an accident or a police car, promised an unfortunate outcome if you gazed for too long. This also brings me to the transition required for recovery in chronic pain, the move from an excessive pain focus to a conscious movement towards increased functionality and quality of life. Now, this is really difficult to achieve when one is immersed in an overly negative narrative. Any situation that involves poor health or illness is somber, of course, to begin with. But a flexible narrow narrative allows us to see opportunity more easily, making space through awareness for further positive additions and allows us to crack open the possibility for change in the concrete of our narrative. Another helpful technique would be to learn to recite your positive piece of accumulated small advantages over time, even if initially very brief and use it every time you find yourself ruminating on your bleak physician-directed narrative. Why? Because you do not effectively stop a negative or unpleasant thought or threat by suppressing it. In fact, the reverse is more likely to happen. You are way more likely to energize something by suppressing it. Instead, replace an unwanted thought by something a bit more uplifting and you will find that it soon becomes a habit when you persist. When your narrative starts to reflect a successful transition towards something even a little more positive, it can be both an inspiration and a roadmap for others to overcome the same challenges should you wish to share it. It is vitally important that you do not allow your current narrative to become your dark future. You can take action that will allow you to move um, on to a better blueprint for your own recovery. 
An innovative idea is to keep your narrative as it is present at present for physicians and to develop a new one for family and friends that includes even one or two positive terms in it initially or items, uh, one or two positive items initially, um, which will make you feel better after you related your story and will give your family and friends uh, a bit of a glimmer of hope perhaps. Even if it is still largely negative, it is likely to lower your stress level and facilitate healing. Journaling is also very important as a method of releasing emotions in a healthy way. So please consider keeping one. Remember, your story can be revised at any time to include added information. If you keep your notes in a file, you will see how your thinking changes with time. One of the major goals in chronic pain is to change a predominantly pain-focused awareness to an improved functionality or quality of life directed awareness. I say this all the time, and yes, I do repeat it, like I repeat many things in chronic pain because they are so important. Holding on to an exclusively negative narrative generally ensures that the story will remain all about the pain. When the narrative remains negative, you are more likely tend to ruminate on it and rumination, especially when you are isolated, generally makes things worse. Now, often when I mention journaling, um, I get a groan from a patient, most often a male patient saying, I can't write. Well, if you went to school and you, you can speak and read, you probably can write. Think of it as a travel log for work or something and get started and it becomes easier with time. The initial reluctance is more a function of, of just not being used to it. It is a great way to release tension. There's also what we call the cathartic effect, very similar to sharing a piece of information that worries you with another person. In the case of journal, journaling, you might not choose to show it to anyone, but just the mere act of writing it down can be a great relief and release. So I strongly recommend it. Um, in fact, many pain programs uh, strongly urge it as well because it is effective and um, it also helps one set goals more adequately. Now, in part two, I want to discuss how building a solid foundation for recovering chronic pain and disease confers benefit. There is a great deal in the medical literature on how various concepts can affect illness and recovery. When I worked in multidisciplinary chronic pain management programs, we were required to ask what the patient's expectations were at our initial assessment. And this referred to the expectations they might have regarding the six to eight week program they were about to attend, but also what their expectations were with regard to their near and medium term future. Well, the truth of the matter was so few people had a clear idea of what chronic pain actually is, that it was not perhaps the best place to start. Too many of them thought that chronic pain was merely the abnormal persistence of the symptom of pain, 
rather than an actual brain disorder or disease, complete with changes that can be seen on spatial imaging. With time, we know that chronic pain spreads to other centers of the brain, such as the centers for memory, the emotions, and fear, among others. Eventually, the network becomes quite extensive so that later on, emotional setbacks or memories or fears can trigger or bring on a pain spike or flare-up of the pain. A further problem was that a substantial number of people had not yet fully accepted that they had chronic pain. And so they did not accept that they needed to play an active role in their own recovery. To my mind, it was therefore difficult to even approach a discussion on expectation, as some did not have any idea of what they were up against, and some had not accepted their situation even after it had been explained to them. The ongoing problem became further reinforced when I later did CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a very well researched and documented effective psychotherapy or talk therapy, as we say, that helps in a whole variety of conditions, including sleep disorders, anxiety, chronic pain, depression, ADD and addictions, and a host of other conditions. In this setting, I saw patients who had done quite well in a multidisciplinary program and were well on their way to make a fresh start with the effective approaches they had learned. Years after completing their program, they claimed they were much where they were before. They received all their education and training in program. They described situations where they would go through extended severe periods of pain where they suspended their good behaviors and practices because they felt that there was nothing that was quote unquote, holding it all together. Evidently, the early explanations that they received had not been enough. They described feeling as if they were trying to operate in vacuo, so to speak, just going through the motions, which previously had made sense to them, but in the face of increasing prolonged pain, no longer seemed to add up. In programs, concepts like meaning, acceptance, and expectations were all discussed, mainly because we actually had the time allotted to explore these topics. But they were never really explained simultaneously, as I recall. So there was obviously a need to offer a solid and reliable foundation that could anchor people in their recovery when things became tough. Um, this is Dr. Trevor Campbell, your host on Healthscape. We just need to take a brief commercial break. I'll be right back. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Are you satisfied with your chronic pain treatment? Chronic pain experts agree that recovery can only occur when the psychological and social issues which help trigger and drive the chronic pain 
are treated along with the other problems. Medications, injection therapy and a range of physical therapies may provide temporary relief of symptoms, but they don't actually address the root causes that drive the chronic pain. I'm Dr. Trevor Campbell, a chronic pain consultant and author of The Language of Pain, a self-help book for those struggling with chronic pain. Add this type of therapy to your existing treatment plan and experience the difference. Get your copy of my book, The Language of Pain, on Amazon. And for further direction, there's also the Language of Pain online course available on my website, www.trevorcampbellmd.com. Act now to take back your life. Are you looking for a path to better health rather than just avoiding disease? A good deal depends on your environment and overall behaviors. On Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell, we focus on the daily techniques that can help with chronic pain, addiction, trauma, and disease. You can take a more active approach to taking control of your health and your life. Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell can be heard every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to host at trevorcampbellmd.com. Now back to the show. This is your host again, Dr. Trevor Campbell on Healthscape, talking about a foundation for chronic pain recovery. Now, the foundation I propose includes meaning, acceptance, and expectation. But these need to be dealt with in this particular order or sequence, in my opinion. The reason for this is simple. It's because until you understand something well, you don't really know what you are accepting. And only, and you can only know what to expect after you have accepted your new situation and a plan or direction on how to deal with it. I will discuss each of these concepts in turn and the individual and sequential importance will become obvious. So firstly, we'll start with meaning. We have to deal in chronic pain with what is the actual meaning of chronic pain. This clearly needs to be provided and it is very generally very well handled in multidisciplinary pain management program. Then there are the th theories for chronic pain. Because they are models, they are not precise reflection of what is happening or going on. For example, there's the matrix theory, the fear avoidance theory, learning theories, and so on. So while a theory or model is not reality, it has to be helpful or have utility. And usually it should not fly in the face of our existing knowledge. The various theories of chronic pain are too lengthy to include in this talk. Although I will say that I find the learning theory most helpful for educating patients because, it's, because it is something that we already know and for the most part still do continually, that is learning. 
The other meaning component that is important is what the chronic pain means to you as the individual, rather than how it arises. Chronic pain will and does mean different things to different people. Your reaction to it will largely be determined by the personal meaning you assign to it. Now, if you were to interview 10 different people, you would probably get 10 different versions as to what it means. In Viktor Frankl's classic book, Man's Search for Meaning, he noted that the prisoners in Nazi-controlled concentration camps stood a better chance of survival, survival, even if old and frail, when they were able to find some sort of meaning in their suffering, whereas younger and fitter prisoners who saw their situation as mindless suffering without meaning, obviously an entirely understandable conclusion to reach given the circumstances, were less likely to survive. It therefore appears that the personal meaning we assign to things can affect our resilience. For some people with chronic pain, it is so mysterious and seemingly inescapable a diagnosis that they possibly have a feeling that they might have been singled out by life or the universe or whatever some going so far as even believing that they are somehow to blame for it, having done something wrong in their lives to deserve it, all of which, of course, is completely false. But this is precisely the type of personal meaning that causes ongoing problems, as the person feels that pain is being imposed on them, much like a prison sentence, and they further have this notion that they are probably helpless or paralyzed to do anything about it. On the other hand, you could be someone who eventually comes to believe that life is full of challenges. And when you look back, you have already overcome many of them and learned from these experiences. Obviously, that is a whole lot easier to say than to truly embrace when you have chronic pain. But the point here is those who can realize this type of meaning, meaning clearly see a future for themselves beyond their pain. Whereas the punishment type of personal meaning described earlier does not support much hope. I ask you to think about these two opposing scenarios and see whether there's any way to move towards the narrative of hope. It is not easy, but it is extremely helpful and great things start with awareness. When your personal meaning is no longer merely seen as a tragedy or major setback, then you are already in a better place, I would suggest. The second element we come to after meaning is acceptance. Sadly, what I often see as a huge barrier to recovery from chronic pain is lack of acceptance. Of course, it's also not easy to accept something unpleasant but it is necessary because it is impossible to adequately plan for going forward when you do not accept your current situation. The most common reason for this, of course, is fear, but sometimes it is anger and blame, and occasionally a sense of lack of closure, where people have this feeling that something either has been missed in terms of their diagnosis or that their specific pain treatments are that there are specific trained pain treatments available 
that could have been of benefit to them, but which have not yet been offered. In my personal experience, this is very seldom the case. Remaining in denial of something that has already happened only robs us of our time to affect the changes we need to make. Some of those who particularly struggle with us have possibly suffered work injuries that were caused by the negligence of other people, understandably leaving a deep sense of wrongdoing. Please note that when discussing acceptance, I do not include forgiveness, although that would be kind of helpful. Forgiveness, of course, is an entirely different dynamic, and like all processes, it usually takes its own time. But this doesn't stop you from accepting the situation. Remember, in both acceptance and forgiveness, you are doing it for you and not for other involved parties. So the value that is generated is added to your life and is buying you time and freeing enormous amounts of energy that can be well used elsewhere. When a family tragically loses their home in a natural disaster, of course there is shock, disbelief, and sorrow that follows, but until acceptance of the loss occurs, clearing, recovery, and rebuilding is unlikely to take place. More important is that acceptance is not merely passivity or throwing in the towel. It is actually a brave leap forward in order to take back control in your life. You cannot accept any remedial plan or treatment until you have accepted that such a plan is even needed or warranted. Healthy acceptance can make your life calmer and less chaotic, and I can honestly energize you, as you no longer have to constantly fight and resist what has already effectively happened. An ongoing fight with reality, on the other hand, saps your energy and cannot lead to a positive outcome. So that deals with meaning and acceptance. And lastly, we come to expectation. Decades ago, the author Norman Vincent Peale was bang on when he said, we tend to get what we expect. I always like to repeat that quote, we tend to get what we expect. While it is easy to say that you expect good things, it is very a very different story to believe it. So then how can you come to expect good things? Well, as is usual in most situations of life, you do the necessary work, which in this case means being completely clear regarding your desirable goal and understanding your current position, also where you stand in relation to achieving this. Then you need to develop or access a plan that's plausible or believable and achievable and commit to it. After this, you can more realistically expect a good outcome. Now, sociologists, psychologists, and others have thoroughly studied the concept of expectation that's been linked to the phenomenon of the self-fulfilling prophecy, which has been known in folklore for centuries. It is believed to work something like this. Once a person buys into their goals and holds a positive expectation of achieving it, they may well adopt behaviors and thinking patterns that are more associated with the desired outcome, basically success, 
and they may put in extra time and diligence towards their goal, even sometimes without being particularly aware of it. They, may, they are also more likely to be aware of and seek out opportunities that could help them reach their new goal. All of these approaches would understandably make success more likely. Over and above this, expectation is also strongly associated with what in medicine we call the placebo effect, where having the expectation of positive results leads to improvement, even when there is no scientific explanation for the effect. Scientific studies have further shown that a placebo itself can improve pain relief. Then there's also the reverse situation called the nocebo effect, where people expecting a negative event have a negative outcome. For example, they can take a harmless uh, medication or mushroom um, and they get a bad reaction from it, again, with no scientific explanation. We regularly see patients in chronic pain multidisciplinary programs who have, a more, have more positive out, uh, expectations of success and they end up doing better than those who don't. I must add here that sometimes poor expectation is merely an indication that the person entering the program doesn't really intend to become fully engaged or even perhaps do what is required of them. And we know that what will change your situation way more than the good advice that you have been given is the good advice on which you have chosen to act. So to sum up, we have discussed how to build a solid foundation in order to withstand the potential difficulties or setbacks you might experience while making these life changes. On the subject of expectation, I leave you with a question. Just think back of your own, on your own, most cherished life achievements. Did you really start working on any of these objectives while having poor expectations of the outcome? So you can see here that by working with meaning, acceptance and expectation in the correct sequence, you can develop a cohesive foundation that is solid with regard, not only to your chronic pain, but to other conditions. And you can also apply this in other life situations. In fact, the foundation anchors your beliefs and your actions in something more concrete, so that when you are particularly distressed, you still have the fundamental beliefs that provide context and stability. Too often, chronic pain treatment has been confined to the medical office, drugstore or procedure rooms with only occasional recommendations and links for a good article, blog, website or piece of information. While these reference add-ons are certainly can be helpful, I do feel that it is stretched to give this sort of direction to a person struggling with chronic pain, who is also likely to be sleep deprived of low mood, anxious and fatigued. A greater effort needs to be made to simplify the required information that is vast, though not overly complicated. Context has to be provided and recommendations need to be bolstered by a strong rationale. Ideally, there also needs to be some sort of flexibility, because not every person, for example, is going to swim or walk a certain distance every day. 
Once the treatment is flexible, is flexible with regard to the options it offers or can accommodate, it can more readily be customizable and hence perceived as more compelling. Those with chronic pain also need to be better positioned for recovery rather than just being inundated by to-do lists. Now, I want to end off with an example, which is actually more of a prototype from ancient times rather than a typical example. For me, this is particularly interesting, a particularly interesting and sobering history and reinforces the idea I have that the ancients, while certainly not be having any access remotely like ours to a knowledge base, were anything but clueless. They certainly understood people and they are more likely than not to have had a very firm grasp on their own world. A few years ago, I visited Turkey on holiday where I had the opportunity to visit the Eshlepion healing center and temple complex near the city of Pergamum. It was the site of the ancient Hellenistic hospital and spa that was built by the Greeks. Now our tour, tour guide had a master's degree in ancient history. Tour guides in Turkey often being <clears throat> overqualified for the job. I later discovered. She gave a most interesting presentation about the ancient healing center. The temple priests apparently functioned as psychiatrists and physicians and used a wellness-focused approach to help heal the sick and infirm. A holistic approach with an emphasis on diet, rest, relaxation, exercise, creative pursuits, and talk therapy or psychotherapy was employed in a natural setting. The complex included a variety of spaces where all of the activities could take place, such as a gym, a library, and mineral baths. Now, although there were a number of these institutions in the Hellenistic world, the most renowned being on the present day Greek island of Kos, most people did not, of course, have access to such structured, structured treatment, having to rely instead on local remedies that included herbs and elixirs. They mostly died at home from childbirth, trauma, or even simple skin infections that came out of, that went out of control. Now, on entry to the hospital, initiates were required to walk a fairly substantial distance in an underground tunnel with only small air vents situated at various intervals along the top. During their passage, the priests would kneel outside the tunnel with their mouths at the vents, encouraging them on with slogans such as, you can do this, success is assured, yes, you can. They obviously well understood the need for compliance and positive reinforcement. During the stay, their stay, they were told that they would have a chance to sleep in the temple where they would have a dream, a gift from the gods that would help indicate the way forward towards their healing. The dream would then be interpreted by the priests, after which the discussion would follow. One can easily imagine that since narratives and even symbols offer great latitude for interpretive options, making the favored explanation possibly as creative as the dream itself. 
However, the crucial point here is that the interpretation of the dream doubled as their ultimate clinical care plan. And as they themselves had experienced the dream, one assumes that agreement or buy-in to the plan was kind of built into the system. The patient at very least being co-author or co-creator of the treatment. And so meaning in this case, being at a rare, unusual and privileged pace, a temple no less, already added significant and meaning into the mix. Acceptance was probably also implied as many of the ill and afflicted had traversed great dis distances while unwell in order to reach the healing place. Then armed with a dream, a gift of the gods, now their ticket to success, one can easily suspect that their expectation would have been on the favorable side. Apparently, according to some records, there is the suggestion that some of the therapies were quite effective. Of course, not everyone who presented to the healing place was accepted at the initial assessment. If they appeared too frail or emaciated, they were deemed unsuitable as no one particularly wanted deaths on the premises. The priests clearly understood the workings of the human mind. The treatment options were primitive and few outside of the natural category like exercise, relaxation, reassuring and the healing effect of nature. But the patients were certainly well positioned for more positive outcomes, I would venture. When involved in the treatment of chronic pain, I sometimes come across individuals who seem to have an early and solid grasp of what is happening and what needs to be done. These people can move quite rapidly forward and see early progress. It's almost as if they have an inner realization regarding their situation. Now, I have to say that these patients, in my experience, are fairly rare. But when I encounter such a patient, I sometimes am moved to say the following, which goes along these lines. We need to do what is necessary to consolidate the helpful changes in focus, behaviors, and thinking patterns in order to secure a good outcome. Then, and only then, can we hopefully get out of the way of recovery. This is clearly not the type of thing I would say to everyone, especially early on in their treatment, as they may feel that they'll be blamed for their actions or inaction. But what we need to appreciate here is that our bodies have an innate drive towards healing where, where possible. But so often our best efforts are upstaged or sabotaged by an unhelpful focus, distorted thinking patterns, and our own toxic disease, disease narratives that pull us down. You were listening to Hellscape with your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell. Thank you for tuning in to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. We hope you'll join us again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time or listen anytime on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a healthy week.